Well, good evening. Hey, welcome. Welcome to our Wednesday night community here, our midweek service. Hope you guys are having, having a good day. Uh, as we say always, this is, this is like a laid back time. So there's coffee and snacks in the back. You guys have probably already seen that, but feel free to get up and go get some here throughout the evening and refill your cups of coffee. Um, hey, we're in a series looking, looking at something that, that we've been saying is maybe the most challenging, the most difficult thing in our lives personally, in our culture, in a, in a macro perspective, is, is this lack of wisdom that we oftentimes experience. Um, and each one of us, we've been kind of looking at throughout these different weeks of saying, man, I see a real lack of wisdom in my life in this area, or this is an area that I'm really struggling with. I need, I need wisdom because it's never as simple as just having the right answers. So many of the decisions we make in life aren't simply yes or no, and they're not even always right and wrong. Sometimes it's, it's trying to discern between like good and better, and, and there's, it's just not really clear. In fact, I would say the majority of the decisions that we make throughout our day fall really into that category. Um, and so we need, we need wisdom. And so we've been trying to explore kind of what that is. And, and this guy, Solomon, in the Old Testament is known maybe more than anyone else for, for being a guy who was kind of all about wisdom. Like that's what he poured his life into. That's what he sought. That's where his attention went. And so the Proverbs we've, we've been going to, I want to look at another book that, that Solomon wrote, the book of Ecclesiastes. And I want to look at just a couple of statements that, that are kind of sprinkled throughout the book, but see if you notice what it is that, that keeps coming up. Because he's mentioning different things, but there's a phrase he just keeps, this like staccato statement, he keeps pounding and pounding and saying. Listen to what he says here, Ecclesiastes, starting the very first chapter, verse 13, Solomon says, I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. And skipping ahead to the next chapter, chapter 2, verse 3, I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. Then further in chapter 7, verse 25, he says, So I turned my mind to understanding, to investigate and to search out wisdom for the scheme of things, and to understand the stupidity of wickedness and the madness of folly. And the next, next chapter, chapter 8, verse 9, All this I saw as I applied my mind to everything done under the sun. There is a time when a man lords it over others to his own hurt. And then finally, chapter 8, verse 16 and 17, When I applied my mind to know wisdom and to observe the labor that is done on earth, people getting no sleep night or day, then I saw all that God has done. What's, what's the common refrain? What do you keep hearing? Yeah, applying my mind. That, that's like this catchphrase. If, if there were like a core value in, in Solomon's home, I'm guessing it was something like this. If he talked with something about his kids, if he had something posted on his refrigerator, it was apply your mind. Think really carefully about this. Have you, have you ever found yourself in a place like in life like that where you just you have this kind of like hunger to figure something out? It might not be everything, but maybe it's a certain area. Maybe it's a certain discipline when you're going into school. Maybe it's an activity or a sport. And, and you're just like, man, I want to master this. I want to get good at it. I want to really apply my mind to it. I want to fully understand all of it. You know, one of the funnest things about, about having kids 
is, is like watching them kind of figure out how things work, you know, reality. Like they're kind of seeing like, wait, so how does this work? And they're, they're like trying to wrap their mind around, wait, so what? And what's going on here? A couple of weeks ago, Talon, our, our youngest, was um, at school, and he was on the monkey bars, and he's going across. And some kid was like daring him, like, I bet you can't do it one more time. And, and he's like, Mr. Oh, yeah, I can. So he went across, I don't know, like all recess long, because he came home, and he had this massive blister on his hand. I mean, it was, I'm like, ah, you know, usually when they say, I'm hurt, you're like, I'm sure it's fine. I was like, <gasps> it was awful. It was huge. And so we had it wrapped for like weeks and all this stuff. And, and he was real nervous about, about when it came off because he knew that the skin was gone. And, he, you know, am I going to see my bones and nerves or what? So he's kind of nervous. So Kristen sits down in the bathroom with him. And she, and she starts kind of cutting this off his hand. And, and he's just like, oh, Mom, you know, I'm not going to have any skin. And so she's saying, no, 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 honey. There's the, the old skin. You know, there's new skin. And he sees it. And it's like it's this pink, you know, pink skin underneath, you know, where the hole was. And, and she goes, see? And he goes, oh, so it's like a piston. She goes, what? And he goes, it's like a piston, you know, like in a car, like a piston that goes up. She goes, what are you talking about? And he goes, like the old skin or the new skin underneath pushes it up to the top and it becomes new skin. And Chris and I, I'm like, I don't even know what a piston is. I'm like, what are, you, what are you talking about? Where did you hear this? But all of a sudden he got it and he's like, okay, skin's like a piston. And if you talk to Talon about skin and how it replaces, he will, he'll go into the anatomy of cars. I mean, like a mecha- maybe he's a mechanic or something. But it's, this was him like, I get it, because he's trying to understand how this works, that new skin gets, gets pushed up, and now it becomes the old skin. Um, I want to do this. I want to take three minutes. We do this every week. Uh, we're going to take three minutes around the table. And I, I want you to talk about... If you, if you, you know, we've got about six chairs at each table. You've got, I say this all the time, you've got six people there. That's 30 seconds each. And I want you to answer this question to each other. Kind of in that vein of like, man, I wish I knew if, if I knew. If you could have the answer to one question in life, and you knew, like you knew you would get it if you investigated, what would it be? Like, what would you want to know? Is it how a new skin comes up? Or maybe it's something different. Maybe some other. Okay, three minutes. Talk about that and we'll pull back together.
Okay. Okay, let me hear a couple things that, that were said around your table. What would you know? What would you like to know? You're like the least inquisitive people in the world. Yeah. Why can't we live longer? It's a good question. Yeah, why, why couldn't we live longer? What else? Say that again. Say that louder. I'm not hearing it. Someone repeat it. Is there pizza in heaven? Is that what you asked? That's a really good question. If there is, which, which kind do you think it is? Like Papa Murphy's or... I don't know. Manna, there you go. Manna with marinara sauce and marinara sauce and mozzarella cheese. What else? What else would you like to know? Okay. What, what are the obstacles? Why is it hard for people to, to embrace God, to surrender their lives? That's a good question. What else? Okay. Yeah. What's, why does it take some of us so long to realize there's purpose in life, there's meaning, that it's a story written by an author, that we're a part of it? That's kind of that submission piece too, isn't it? Yeah. Huge questions. Like, if we could, if we could man, if we could just, just know the question to these. Solomon is this guy who is like, has this ferocious desire to like, like, apply my mind to it. How do I understand this? What's going on? And so this is why he's writing about zoology and biology and psychology and sociology and theology. Solomon's doing all that naturally because he's just, he's applying his mind. He's going, I got to figure out life. I got to figure out what's going on. How does it work? How do all the pieces of this puzzle like fit together? So here's what I want to do first. If you, if you brought, or if you've got a bulletin on the, on the inside page there, there, there are some concentric circles. I want to walk through a diagram that uh, Dallas Willard used. Dallas Willard is just, he, he was one of my heroes. He just passed away last year. Guy who was like a brilliant mind and then mixed with this deeply passionate, emotional heart for God. It was just this beautiful balance. And Willard, when he talked about, okay, like who are we? Like what's, what are we made of? What's going on? He said, he said, you can think of yourself this way. No, this isn't, this isn't the diagram in the sense of this is where these things are. It's, it's just a working model to help us understand how the different components of kind of our internal world and everything relate and interact. And so, and so Willard said this. He said, at the core of you is your will. Now, biblical language, the Bible, you a lot of times use the word heart. For, this is sort of the seedbed of who you are. This is, your will is what allows you to make choices, a choice for yes, a choice for no. Your will is, is what makes you a person and not a thing, okay? Um, your will has the ability to, to exercise dominion. In Genesis chapter 1 and, and 2 where we see God creating humanity, he says, I want you to cultivate. I want you to go grow. I want you to have exercise dominion. That's, that's fulfilling that when we exercise our will out in the world. Now, a question we immediately ask is, okay, so if, if our will is so central to who we are, like, why isn't spiritual life a lot easier, right? Because I just go, okay, I'm going to read my Bible tomorrow for an hour, 
and then I'm going to pray for an hour, and then I'm going to be nice to my kids all day, and then I'm going to you know, do this, and I'm going to work out, and I'm not going to eat that donut, and I'm going to on and on. That's my will. That's what I want to do. So why in the world do we find ourselves doing things that, that are really against our will? See, a will is, is really, really good at making simple decisions or, or large commitments. I'm going to get married. I'm going to move to this house. The will is really, really good at that. But it's really bad at overriding something called a habit. Um, John Ortberg says, uh, habits eat willpower for breakfast. <laughs> Isn't that a great statement? You could tweet that one. That's a good one from Ortberg. Habits eat willpower for breakfast. So will is strong, and it's wonderful, but it's super limited. It's, it's got like a, a certain sphere of influence, but it is limited. So why is that? Well, there's something else involved. The next circle, mind, your mind. Now, in the ancient world, and this is where the, this, of course, this text is coming from a culture of the ancient world. In the ancient world, the mind referred to both a person's thoughts rational cognitive thoughts as well as their their feelings attitudes those sort of things that so the mind kind of encompassed both of those areas and by thoughts i mean all the ways in which you are conscious of things in life relationships and objects and whatever it might be all the ways that you're conscious of that those those are your thoughts you have feelings about those things as well do you like them do you not like them that's an aspect of what your mind does and thoughts and feelings are constantly running through our lives all the time flowing in habits um, that willpower alone can't simply grasp and have total control of and so when I think thoughts that are false, thoughts that are unworthy, uh, when, I, when I entertain desires that are in opposition to what God would, would want for my life, I damage my person. I damage my soul. And so that's why the apostle says that we'll, we'll get to this verse a little later. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit of God is life and peace. And the mind craves peace. The mind craves life. Well, there's another aspect a little further out. And that is the body. Your body is your little kingdom. Your body is the little tiny kingdom where you can exert your will, where you can exercise your will and all of the universe that's the one area when things are working correctly that you have the ability to to exercise the choices you make through the beliefs and patterns your your will runs on the tracks of your mind and your thoughts and that's where you exercise that so we couldn't be fully ourselves without our body and our bodies because we have exercised our will and our beliefs have kind of you know, pushed those for so long. Our, our bodies are, are sort of pulsating with, um, filled with appetites, filled with desires, leanings, tendencies, or again, habits. And so we, we, we outsource our mind and our thoughts through our body. Everything from tying your shoe. Remember when you first learned to tie your shoe? Ever help someone who's learned to tie their shoe? 
And you're just like, oh, come on, this is not that hard, and it seems like it's taking forever. Like, little things that when you first do it, what does it require? It requires, like, all your thoughts, right? I mean, it requires, like, sustained attention to get that loop right and to go around this way. It requires your will, like, oh, I've got to keep with this. The beauty of having a body is you develop a body habit so that later you can do it, and your mind and your will are freed up to do other things. Habits are beautiful things. They're wonderful things. They're what allow us to not go this slow every second through life. Remember when you first learned to drive? Imagine, think about how fast you get in your car if you drive. Put your seatbelt on, put it in reverse, check the mirrors, move this, get that, plug in your iPod, do this, and you back up and you go. Thought about, think about when you first did it. You're like, it's going to be okay. i got to adjust my seat. I mean, because it takes all of your mind, all of your will to do it. And the beauty of habit is God designed our bodies to work on the things that we do repetitively again and again and again. The way in which my will is being exercised as running on the tracks of my mind, it's, it's doing those things. So it's a, it's a wonderful thing. And our bodies are amazing. But of course, they're not the whole story. The very end part is what we would call our soul. And the soul is on the outside because it's this idea that the soul is what holds all of them together. The soul is what integrates your will with your mind and your body. It, it integrates all of them together. That is, the, that is the capacity to have a whole life. What do we often say when we feel like, Man, my, my, my thoughts, and you know, I want to do this. My th- we say, I'm falling apart, right? I'm disintegrating. Integration is a deeply soulish word because the, the job of the soul is to integrate all the aspects of our internal world with, with our body. And so when things feel out of joint, we say, I'm falling apart. I can't hold it together. We, we naturally lean toward this language because we know deep down that is the role that the soul plays in our life. And so the soul seeks harmony. The soul seeks integration. That's why that word again is such a deeply integrated uh, or a deeply soulish word. So here's the question for tonight we're looking at is, okay, Solomon, wisest guy in the world, he seems to talk a lot about this whole mind thing. Well, think about this. One day there was a guy who appeared who was wiser than Solomon. This this is a word that works every time in church. Here's a quick, here's an answer. You're failing. Who is it? Okay, it's Jesus. Good. Um, Jesus comes on the scene, and one day Jesus is approached, and the guy who approaches him asks him a wisdom question. He goes, okay, Jesus, boil it down. The, The most important thing in life, like if you were to say life is all about this, that's a wisdom question, right? And that's a question of how do you do life well, wisdom. What's the most important thing? What does God think is the most important thing? And Jesus said, I can break it down into two pieces, two components. And the second one is love your neighbor as yourself. But he said the first one, before you get to that, the first one, he says in Matthew 22, 37, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Now, notice, notice what Jesus is pointing out here. He's saying, you want to know what the wise life looks like? What's involved here is that you, you have the ability, and he's talking about the whole thing, to love God with this whole integrated thing here. And of course, that's 
that's the picture of what we were meant to be is this integrated being who works properly together instead of in this internal fighting that we experience in life. But he says, that's our goal is to love God. And he mentions the mind, which I'm so glad that he did. And we have to be careful as the church not to run past that one. Solomon knew it was important. Jesus pointed it out as a piece of the most important thing about the wise life. So the first observation about this, thinking about Jesus' words, is that our use of the mind is an act of worship. The use of your mind is an act of worship when you use it correctly. Um, If you're going to school and um, you're studying a subject, even one you're not good at, even when it's hard, even one that's you know not really kind of up your alley, um, if you do it to the very best of your abilities, it can be an act of worship because you're exercising your mind. You're loving God with your mind. Listen to Colossians 3.23. Paul writes this, Whatever you do, you're an engineer, you're a student, you're a homemaker, you're a whatever. Film, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. What he's saying is if, if, if this belief, this idea that can be lodged in my mind and accepted and calibrate, that I calibrate my life to, if this is true, what it's saying is when you think well, when you're doing your work, whatever it might be, you're stocking shelves at a company, when you, under, when you apply your mind to understand the system of how you have to scan things in and put them on the shelves and get them right and then when they need to be back in and when you need to go back there and show them, when you apply your mind well, that could be an act of worship. If you're an engineer and you're showing up at work and making sure to get your projects done thoroughly and you're working in agreement with what you said you would do with the other cohorts around you and, and you're doing that well, that can be an act of worship. This thinking thing, Jesus says, Solomon says, is a spiritual endeavor. It's not just when you come to church that's a spiritual thing. When you think well, it is a spiritual endeavor. Second observation, growing your mind using it well, applying it as Solomon used that language, growing your mind is, is key to victorious Christian living. It's absolutely key. It's essential for victorious Christian living. Second Corinthians, Paul, Paul is talking about this sort of battle that we're in in life. He says, you know, there's, in reality, our, our life here, it is kind of like a battle. There's a, there's a battle going on, but he says, it's not, a, it's not the battle we think of like against people, or, or that sort of thing. But he says, it's a, it's a different kind of battle. And this is one of the classic texts on what we think of as spiritual warfare, if you've heard that term a lot. Now, read this text with me. Okay, Again, the context is spiritual warfare. Please make note of the words that Paul is using and pointing out here. Second Corinthians 10.3, Paul writes, For we live in the world. We do not wage war as the, as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. So he's going to talk about what our weapons are. Okay, that's important to know. What are we using? Um, on the contrary, they have divine power. Well, that sounds like a spiritual activity. That sounds like spiritual warfare. To demolish strongholds. So we're going to learn both what our weapons are and what strongholds are out there in the context of spiritual warfare. Now look at verse 5. We demolish, what's the word? Arguments. 
and every pretension that sets itself up, up, up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought. Arguments, pretensions, knowledge, thought. What area is that? That's this area. Spiritual warfare is fought in this category right here. Both the weapons that we use are weapons like ideas and arguments and thoughts and knowledge. And what we're fighting against in the camp of the enemy, and it's saying it's not the world, this is, this is spiritual warfare, is arguments, pretension, thoughts, ideas. This is why it is so important to be equipped in your thinking, to be a critical thinker, to be careful with your mind, to not be sloppy or slothful in our thinking. Now notice the pronouns too. All the pronouns in this passage, it's all us, we. It's not you or I. It's all plural pronouns. Christian thinking has a communal dimension. You are much less likely to get off and some harebrained weird theological thing or some weird kind of practice thing you're much like less likely to do that if you're in a small community where you're rubbing shoulders where you're bouncing ideas off of other people christian thinking needs to be open to the correction of other people one of you know my favorite author of all time is c.s lewis C.S. Lewis was a part of this tiny little community, this kind of like a little table like what you're at. And he would meet with them uh, once a week. They would go to this pub, and they called themselves the Inklings. And different guys were a part of it, and they would share their works, their writings. It was all ideas, and they would encourage each other spiritually. A lot of different things went on there, but it was this like deep, cool, intimate friendship thing that lasted for years. And Charles Williams, who was one of those guys, when one time was reflecting on ideas and how this works, the like small table thing, communion, community thing works. And he said this, um, he said, in seclusion, I get lots of good ideas. I get lots of good things that flow off my pen as I'm thinking and writing. He said, but, these were his words, um, much more is possible, um, I'm sorry, he said, much was possible to a man in solitude, but some things were possible only to a man in companionship. And of these, the most important thing he said I got was balance. Isn't that important? If, if, if you're not in a relationship, you will be unbalanced. We all will be. Because this isn't totally unified for us. And I've got some things in this area that are just goofy and weird. And I need, I need people to kind of, those, you know, those rough, rough edges. And he said, no mind, no mind is so good that it does not need another mind to counter it, to equal it to save it from conceit and bigotry and folly. Isn't that a good picture? Wow, what a reminder. Your mind is not strong enough on your own to think, well, you had better be in a small community of some sort or another, or you will end up in error. You will end up in some sort of oddity a little bit over here, or a little over there, and you won't notice. Other people will, <laughs> but you won't notice it. Another aspect of what does it mean to, to, to grow our mind, this, this component of wisdom? It's, um, it's important for spiritual formation. By that, I just mean how you are developing as a follower of Christ. How, you're, how your spirit, how your life, how your soul, how this whole thing is being formed or transformed, better yet, into the image of God. <clears throat> Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Listen to these words of Paul. 
Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your, the, the third circle there, your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but, now here's the key piece, here's the statement. Be transformed by what? The renewing of, the second one here, the re- renewing of your mind. And then, and then look at the wisdom statement here. This is, what we're, this is why, kind of like why we're doing the series. Um, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. Good, pleasing, perfect will. Wow, that's what we're all about. Um, this is Paul's most maybe like important synopsis or snapshot of the spiritual life. This, this, this statement right here. And think about what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, well, be transformed by kind of trying to drum up real intense feelings of, you know, oh, I just love, I love God so much and I love others. That's how you're going to be transformed. He goes, no, 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 not that. He doesn't say, well, you know, by exercising your will to just, man, I'm going to obey biblical commands. He doesn't say, be transformed by renewing in, in, in fellowship and worship. No, those are all important. Those are all huge pieces of the Christian life. But he says that's not where the battle lies. That's not the fulcrum. That's not the center point. That's not where everything is going to stand or fall. Paul elevates the second circle, the mind here. In the preceding verse, the one that comes right before that, Paul, Paul reminds us to, to offer our bodies. That's that third circle. That's our faces. That's our hands. Those are, that's our mouth. That's our feet. Um, and remember, your body is your little tiny kingdom where you can exercise your will. Um, but that needs to be directed by the mind, by your thoughts and your feelings. And that's what habits are. Um, habits are those mind pathways that, that get worked out in our life. Some people uh, frown too much. Uh, some people gossip too much. Some people too quickly run to the refrigerator someplace to eat some sort of soothing food and get it in your bodies. And we do that when there's some cue. Something happens, I get into a fight, I'm sad, or I'm whatever, and that's the cue for me. That's the habit cue. Because <laughs> habit is made up of a cue, the sort of action itself and some reward. The cue comes, and I immediately go into that bad habit. Uh, I immediately start gossiping with my mouth because something happens, I got a new piece of information or something, because it's, it's this sort of habit cue in my life. Or I immediately frown because something is said, or I walk into someone's presence, or immediately my, you know, my legs take me right to the refrigerator to eat some sort of soothing food, almost without conscious thought, because habit is working through my life because my body's been trained by my mind, my thoughts, my thinking, my attitude, my feelings. They've been just calibrated over the years. And so to change our habits, we, we have to, or we need to retrain our bodies to form new habits in place of the old ones. Um, two weeks ago, I, um, I get found out about this thing that's called Soul Pulse. This is, uh, I put the little website in your, in your bulletin if you're kind of interested in checking it out. Two weeks ago today, in fact, I heard about this thing. I jumped online. Essentially what it is is it, it's a little thing you just sign up for, and then you get, you get like two texts a day at random times. They want to know like when you wake up, when you go to bed, and then they kind of, we're going to figure out where we're going to place them. And, and so you get these two texts. And essentially what it, 
what it's assessing, it comes to your smartphone. It, it wants to know about like your spiritual awareness. Like, uh, are you aware of God at this moment? Because you're supposed to answer for, your, for this right now. Like, are you aware of God at this moment? You know, and ask questions like, how much, how much love are you feeling toward other people? And you have like, like you rate it on the scale, like 10 or new, you know, zero. And, and, you know, how much sleep did you get last night? Um, how, ma- how many alcoholic uh, drinks did you have in the past 24 hours? Have you been in, in an argument with someone? Have you had your feelings hurt in the past two hours? Have you- all of these questions just takes about like 60 seconds. And, and, and it does this thing, and it's, it's a soul pulse is being put on by these Christian psychologists and sociologists, this, this, this study that's trying to assess how the spiritual life works in relationship to all this stuff. What's been going on with your body? Where, what do you... You know, what decisions have, have you refrained? Sometimes you know, have you refrained from any things like self-discipline lately? What's, you know, what are you thinking? How are you feeling right now? And, and, so, and so this morning I answered my last question. You know, I got the text and I got it and I answered it. And I said, you know, congratulations, you made, you know, the two weeks. We're going to send you a little, like, a, a automated sort of picture of your, your past two weeks. And so I pull up this graph and the graph's like this. You know, the time is up here and that sort of thing. And you can look at it in all different ways. I want to look at this aspect or that aspect. And I'm seeing, man, that's interesting. Like this time of day, that's funny. This time of day, it always goes up. This time of day seems to go down. That's what was going on then. And I look at some of my, I'm like, huh, that's interesting. And what's, what's interesting, one thing I didn't expect from it, and they don't talk about this, is I actually developed a new cue for a habit. Because I was getting, I was getting it, it would buzz twice a day. And I knew, like, one of the first questions was, you know, how aware of God are you? And so it was just, I was, it was just a habit of, like, answering. I'd be like, eh, you know, I'd rate it here, rate it there, whatever. And what's funny is over the past maybe, like, three or four days, every time it buzzes, I'm like, God's here. That's, like, my first thought. My mind is immediately going, I'm present with God right now. He's with me as I'm writing this email. He's with me as I'm driving in the car. He's with me as I'm trying to put the kids' lunch together. He's with me as I'm... And it was weird. And, and I kind of started thinking, like, wow, isn't, isn't that interesting? And what I realized what happened, maybe accidentally, is I developed kind of a new habit. That I'm thinking more often, I'm, I'm, I'm living in the presence of God. And that's a huge thing, you guys. That's like, I mean, that's how you win or lose during my day anyway. Am I aware of the presence of God in my life? We have to think about using our minds to say, what's going on? What am I thinking about? What are the habits that I am walking into uncritically? My mind is floppy and flabby and weak and slothful, and I'm not really thinking about it. And see, that's my mind being retrained. Um, There's another role that our mind plays in spiritual formation that I would say too, and that is our mind can protect us from error. It can protect us from, from falsehood. Let me read for you uh, some words that, that Paul wrote to a letter, uh, a church in Ephesus in the middle, in the uh, Mediterranean world. And he, he wrote this to this church, Ephesians 4.14. It says, Christ himself gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, in order to equip people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up until, here's kind of our goal, we all reach unity in the faith, in the knowledge of the Son of God, we become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And then in verse 14, that's what he says here. 
Now, he's just been talking about solid teaching. God put something in the church to give us healthy, solid, biblical teaching. Then, because we have that, if we're a part of it, if we make ourselves aware of that, then we will no longer be infants. Now, let me contrast real quickly here. Sometimes the Bible uses children, in a, it uses in two different ways. Childlike, which is a good thing Jesus says, unless you become like one of these children, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. And childish. That's, that's a childish is being lazy, not thinking about our minds, not being careful with how we exercise our will, not being thoughtful about the use of our body and our soul and that sort of thing. Here he's using the childish sense. If, if you do this, if you're careful about what you believe, what you think, the ideas you hear, then you will no longer be infants. And then this picture being tossed back and forth by waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Here's what Paul's saying. Going back to Romans, if the primary way he is going to shape your heart is by the renewing of this, your mind, how do you think the primary way that the enemy is going to assail you and attack you? No duh, right? The mind. It's going to be in the same area, of course, because that's where the battle is won or lost. Error and false teaching. And I'm not one of these people who say, oh, we're worse now than we've ever been. There's always been false teaching. The Bible's laced with these warnings from whether it be Jesus or Paul or John saying, be careful. Be on guard. Have a critical mind. There's tons of bad teaching out there that will lead you astray. Be a critical thinker. They're saying, use your mind well. Go back to the very, very first temptation. Eve. Satan came to Eve. He didn't hit her with a stick. He hit her with an idea. The idea was, you can't trust God. He doesn't have your best intentions in mind. You better look out for your own, because he won't. It was the idea. Satan hit her with an idea. So here's the question. How do you recognize falsehood? How, how, how do you become aware so that the minute you see it, you're like, whoa, that's, no, that's not accurate. That's not true. I'm not going to incorporate that into my mind and then kind of live that out. Only by being intimately familiar with truth. That's it. The way you know falsehood is by knowing the truth. If I have a good friend and I know them very, very well, and someone comes to me and says something about them that I know is not, that's, they're not, you know, they're not 6'2", dude's like 5'7", what are you talking, I know them really well. Or something about their character, and they say, oh, this person is, you know, they're always so mean and aggressive. And I say, no, they're not. I mean, I have lunch with that person like once a week. I've seen them at home. I've seen them in all these different contexts. I know them really well. I know that's not true. Okay? No, no one could call me and impersonate my wife because they know her so well. Okay? If you are not deeply familiar with the truth, you will be deceived by a lie. That's just reality. I will be too if I'm not familiar with the truth. So here's the huge question. What are you doing? What are you doing in your life to be familiar with the truth? And by the truth, I'm saying submitting your thinking to the lordship of Christ, or you might say a biblical worldview or whatever you want to call it. What are you doing to become familiar with God's truth, his understanding of life and relationships and meaning and purpose and how it all works? What are you doing for that? Because if you do nothing, you're... you're, um, Boy, you're easy game for the enemy, and I am too. 
So we start, what we have to do is we have to start thinking of thinking as a spiritual endeavor. Um, because it is. If, if, if you suffer from a, a poor self-image, you, you had parents who didn't approve of you, didn't accept you, you never really felt loved by them, they, they were kind of domineering, they were harsh, um, not real loving, that's going to be worked out, not just in your relationships and your self-understanding, but in how you think of God. If you constantly walk around thinking, oh, you know, gosh, I feel guilty and God doesn't like me and he's probably just waiting to get me and he's very disappointed in who I am as a person and all that. sort. Now, there's an appropriate place for guilt, don't get me wrong. But if you're living in this sense of God doesn't love me, I've confessed my sins and I've come to him and I've given my life to him, but he, he st- I still am always kind of like having to work and do. That's this. This is broken and messed up. Your thinking about your past is a spiritual endeavor. And that's true even with now, with today. I, I think I've said this quote before. It's one of the, my favorite quotes of Dallas Willard. He said, we pick up beliefs as we go through our day like our coat picks up lint. Isn't that a cool picture? Meaning, I, like, you ever have this experience? Like, I'll, I'll drive into a parking lot with my car, and I've got a little Toyota RAV4. And I'm like, I love my 07 Toyota RAV4. And I park. And by the time I get up to the front, I'm like passing like this Lexus and that car. And I'm like, my car stinks, man. I've got to get a new car. Because I'm picking up beliefs like, that's what I need. That's what I should have. I deserve that. I, sh- I should have this. I'm picking up beliefs all day long. And if I'm not going, I better be really careful as I walk through the parking lot. I better be really careful as I walk through the gym. I better be really careful as I walk through my office place. I better be really careful as I fill in the blank. Then my mind will be assailed. And I won't be able to figure out, why am I so discontent? Why am I not happy? Why am I not joyful? Why am I not fulfilled? Well, because this area is completely unprotected in my life. And I'm being assailed by the enemy in that huge way. Beliefs drive our behavior. That is just throughout. And we're picking them up all the time. And if you and I are not carefully Let's, let's use that great phrase by Paul, renewing our minds. If we're not constantly, continuously, carefully, daily, systematically, critically renewing our minds, then my distorted thinking, your distorted thinking, is going to keep you from the core truth of the gospel. And here it is, that there is a sacred voice that calls you the beloved. That's the core truth of the gospel. And if you are not recalibrating your mind, you will not hear that. You will have a different voice going on here in, in your head. And that profound truth will have little or no effect without a significant thought renewal. Mind submitting to the lordship of Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, th- thank you for your word. Thank you for truth. Thank you for, for the lens that Scripture provides for us because our lenses are just, they're, they're so warped and they're off and we know it's for a lot of different reasons. We're, we're broken and we're sinful and we've got baggage and lots of things. But God, there's something unique about your word about Scripture that, that, that gives us a lens, a filter that allows us to see the world as it really is. 
And God, we know that a big piece of that is our mind and where we go in there. And we know our mind is limited. We don't create reality with our mind. But if we would recalibrate our mind to how you see us, how you see relationships, how you see truth, how you see generosity, how you see money, how you see power, everything, we would be an integrated whole. God, with our wills submitting to our minds, which are submitted to the Lordship of Christ, being acted out in our body, offering our bodies as a living sacrifice. That's our goal. That's our hope. And, and, and God, if we were on this endeavor on our own, man, we'd be, we'd be in trouble. But thank you that you say, you offer us something just phenomenal, dynamite. You say, I will give you a power, I will give you myself to enable you to be this integrated whole God, that's what we long for. Would you, would you help us to just, moment by moment, thought by thought, idea by idea, help us to be transformed in our souls, through our bodies, into our wills, as our minds are renewed. We love you so much, God. Thanks, thanks for community. Thanks for the people on our left and right. We're not in this alone. We don't, if we go this our, on our own, we're in trouble, and so we don't do it. And we, we put ourselves dangerously into vulnerability uh, with others. Help us to be that way. Help us to be real and truthful. And it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Offering is going to be at the back. If you've come prepared for that, uh, please drop that uh, in as you go. Prayer team will be up front. would love to pray with you guys. Feel free to grab some more coffee. And uh, so I just so enjoy being Wednesday nights with you guys. This is fun. This is a blast. So thanks for being here. Love you guys.